You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the visual effects supervisors for Greyhound, Nathan McGinnis and Pete Bepp. Congratulations on your first command at last. I'll always be looking for you, Evie, even if I'm a thousand miles away. Air escort to Greyhound. You will now be out of range of air cover for the next five days. How many crossings does this make? This was my first. I got some. Most likely you both. He's trying to slip under us! Fire! We have a kill. Distress rockets, sir. We have hits directly on the convoy. The wolf bag's haunting us. You both starboard bound! Seven ships and 50 souls. Whatever you did yesterday, got us to today. It's not enough. they come. What are we gonna do? We'll bring hell down from on high. Well, I could talk to you guys all day about uh, the history of VFX, but I figure you guys have busy days too. So, uh, you know, Apple's doing a pretty good job getting a kind of covert, under the radar, below the line campaign for Greyhound, and I've got a good feeling about it showing up maybe with some sound and VFX noms. So um, as I understand it, there's a ton of shots in this. What is it? Uh, it's close to 3,000 VFX shots in Greyhound? Yeah, close to 1,500. 1,500, okay. <laughs> Which, when you think of an average film, is 2,500 shots, you know, and that's kind of rule of thumb. Right. Um, it was basically the majority of, of the show. And obviously, the Pete and I worked around... Tom's dialogue, you know, the majority of that shot, you know, um, the interior of what's coming out of Tom's mind, his thoughts, and then his his dialogue with his crew. And the rest of it was, I think, intentionally, originally, it was never supposed to be that explosion of, of I think they, they, they dropped some pages of dialogue, but they needed to then complement that again with more storytelling from the outside, like from Tom's point of view, what's going on in Tom's mind, and the introduction of the German wolf pack, which wasn't really planned to be. Um, as so, we got called in, um, really in a in a, I would say a nine one one situation kind of, <laughs> and. And we had to, we had to kind of just sit there, take a look at the cut, and go from there. It was basically a it, for us. It was a fresh start. They shot it. Um, they done a uh, Sydney did a did a really good cut. We you know it was a, you could understand it. it. It cut to a lot of just kind of um, overhead 
um, let's just say schematics of the ship's directions and their travel across the Atlantic and then their encounters with the with the U-boats. So there was a little bit of a blueprint there to look at and a little bit of previs and we had to then assess it, figure out in the time frame, which was four months, and realise that there is no assets. There is no, uh, we don't have time to go out and storm chase. We don't have the ability to, you know, really go out and do, do a lot, but start off from scratch. In other words, Pete had to put a team together, which was a hand-picked crew of, of just really smart cats from DNEG. I had to try to understand where Tom's head was at Mm-hmm. And and Gary um, from Playtone and Aaron from from Film Nation, and well, let's call them the filmmakers, and get busy. And so what I did was brought in the previous team as quick as we can, um, got Pete on straight away, yeah. and we really kind of worked in a, in a very different process. And that was we did it all. We were running everything at the same time. So it wasn't like, you know, we did the preview first, we did this. It wasn't like that. It was hit the ground running. We, when Pete and I both got involved, we thought there was going to be um, a lot more assets and things like that to, to work with. But at the end of the day, we still had this big prop, gaping problem of um, it's at sea and it's at a, at, at a condition of the sea that is rare to just say okay we'll do it all in cg so we we hit the ground running previous um previous posters with the work that we had shot on gimbal uh i'd done a a massive search for as much as i could on everything to do with everything that's (laughs) no that's from from the effects on the guns to the 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 U-boats and to their the detailing and the ships and and Pete will will jump onto this conversation too and we we kind of took a walk into history together um, and put ourselves in that era, put ourselves there and it's the only way we could do it and we. We had such a small time frame that we, we just kind of ran with our instincts yeah. and, and, and focused on reality as much as we could and, and also um, trying to put together, you know, the photo, photorealistic environments that are generally something that most people try to avoid because it's very difficult. It's very, it's, you know, it's very difficult. So... That's kind of like a, a little opening statement that, again, <laughs> I could talk all day um, because we just, we were limited in in uh, what we had to work with. So we had to start it and we had to start it at the end of, of a, a very, the schedule that was very difficult and demanding. Actually, it's, it's entirely like that. It's like we were picking up the uh, the relay baton and the, and the last kind of throw, but no one had run the previous bit of the race whatsoever. So, you know, between between these four wheels. So what what happened with the practicals? Because I, I, you mentioned that the the ship set was on a gimbal. So I mean, you you had some of the the shake yeah. and 
you know, the water movement. Yeah, they shot it on a dry dock ship, USS mm-hmm. Kid in New Orleans, right? Obviously, and the light is as it is in New Orleans, which is beautiful, yeah. clean, clean, and like every day is summer, which is entirely the opposite. There's nothing but <laughs> the bloody North Atlantic. So yeah. there was an issue already, which means that, you know, Nathan and I had to do something which we don't tend to ever do being slightly old school, which is touch the plate, which is usually sacrosanct. Mm-hmm. You have to try to just adjust the plate to bring it into that world, which had yet to be created when we picked up that baton. Oh, um, that, you know, the ocean hadn't been created. And ocean was the character yeah. of the film. Another character that Nathan and Tom and the filmmakers had to try to establish for what they wanted. And that's partly what Nathan was saying is they, they amassed a huge library of material and i must say the thing that about this is it's it wasn't it was you know 99 percent of it was you know path a original period footage which is mm. what we want to absolutely stay with you know to remain authentic with it so we did not look at previous visual effects films we never do that that's for me that's just an absolute no oh. you know you just you look at real material you, you know and out of all of that material then as as because nathan and i have worked before many times it's just it's about giving the crew specifics and certainly when your back's against it and there's the time is ticking is it saying right out of these x amount of clips hundreds of them what would you say is your hero Beaufort eight to ten uh, Beaufort is you have to nautical speak for how rough the ocean is and wind speed mm. and um so we might be talking about that just so you know um so that we found one clip for us which was a hero Beaufort hd clip which was spot on because then we said right this is what we'd want the ocean to look like. It was at the correct height for where we wanted it, for where the ship was on the deck. Mm-hmm. And then we give that to the effects team, you know, and then they off they go trying to create that ocean. I think that was probably, you know, mm-hmm. from that level of the, the reference material we had, that was entirely what we had. But yeah, they had the USS Kid, and then they had this gimbal set, green screen, which was a huge motorized gimbal, which was pretty yeah, neat. The, uh, the, the, the gimbal, um, you know, we already used, you know, you know, I wouldn't want to say any shot, but very minimal. And no. also the the kid, um, minimal as well, because it has no motion. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> so you're talking about a, a you're talking about a story that is happening in the, you know, as explained in, in the in the the, the, the script and, and explained by the filmmakers, you know, a very critically disgusting environment of just just ugly, mm-hmm. ugly. So ugly meaning uh, high seas, high swells, difficult to operate. Very. And you couldn't without motion of the ocean on a, on a stationary ship. We had to really do away with most of it. And and you know, as an example, if you you where where the ship the kid was used the most was in the funeral. Mm-hmm. We had to bring the the boat. Now when we talk boat scale, you know that was saying all new to me too. And, I, and I've been part of Oceans for a long time, and, but they went by Beaufort and we, we had to, you know, we, I think we went from a Beaufort 2 to a Beaufort 8, 9 in the movie. We had to bring it all the way down to a calm sea because nobody was moving. You know, right. That's why. So, so it was limited to what we could do there. So Pete um, hit the ground running and just started um, building assets, uh, uh, just a, a convoy of assets including obviously our heroes and really uh, it was what the camera saw was what we detailed the most in, mm-hmm. in the world of detailed texturing and and but 
what happened in this this kind of journey with that Pete and I had was faster than I felt. Um, we started to see results, and we started to see results come out of our our sim water sim. And like Pete said, narrowing it down to like a shot, a trip, a a you know, we were we were starting to see nice results quicker than we thought. Yeah, we were seeing um, uh, looked at you know, which was actually put in shots, you know, we weren't even, you know, to get about a turntable, you know, I didn't, I didn't see, you know, Pete might have, I didn't, have, you know, I just, I saw them, we basically were, all that rubbish. Yeah, we were on the fly, we were working on the fly yeah. and we were getting excited because it was actually looking good. Yeah. And we were moving and we, we, we did, we just really focused on historical footage um uh, re realism we listened to journalists who were on the ships we read documents from on on the ships we had so much footage that associated to the to the the armory the guns the damage the oceans the the the, the period that we and as pete said we don't and I too, we never reference movies, yeah. especially a movie based on water um, and oceans. And it was a World War II pick that had to stay as authentic as possible. So that's how we rolled. And and I feel that we 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 did it. We, we were touching something that we felt was you know we both were getting very excited about in the world of. Um, a difficult visual effects show to work with <laughs> and with, with no time. Well, so you mentioned the authenticity. And one thing I thought was interesting is that a lot of the film takes place at night. So tell me a little bit about making fairly dark shots that are also still visible yep. and aesthetically well, pleasing. This is, this is the, the, the super interesting, interesting part because Pete and I both knew that when you're in the North Atlantic in the middle of the night and the rules are, and, and I've discussed this many, many, many times, is that we're not going to see anything. We're going to yeah. see something with the illumination of flares and, and obviously uh, the, uh, attacks from the U-boats. And, and, but we, we skated on this very fine line of keeping in mind, and Pete will talk about this, is that Pete shot various um, time-lapse events of HCRs that were basically lighting setups on the coast in the UK. And I could actually pick with Pete the, the actual lighting setups and mm -hmm. there was nothing. So we knew very well that the, 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 the example is you couldn't even light a cigarette on any of these ships. Oh yeah. yeah because in the, the night, the, the, the wolf pack come up at night. So the minute they're spotted, that's it. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's ducks. So they went with no lights. And we had two nights to deal with. One, we went, one, we were skidding on basically not seeing anything until any illumination came from the, from, from the action in the script. And then the second night, I think we went a little bit more <laughs> because we were nervous. Now, yeah. Uh, and then what Pete did was wedged it for us. And we looked at the various wedges. And then obviously I was nervous 
when we when we basically filled the whole show, I went over to Company Three and sat with Stefan, and we we thought it was just brilliant on the big screen, mm-hmm. seeing nothing, and then then you saw this illumination, or you just saw like these low angle shots behind uh, behind the greyhound, and you can see the what the white caps are churning, you know, from the rotors, and you can you know, and we all just thought it was amazing, and we 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 loved that, and we we um. We skated the fine line between what the audience can see versus what they can't see, but you know we we um, we, we were quite risky in that world, Pete. We did, we did. What about the tracer rounds? I thought uh, some of the the colors of all that were really interesting. The way you styled those, matching reference, and this is what we were. All of that stuff that was amassed from the firing of the bow four guns, the five inch guns, the the twenty mil muzzle flashes, the tracer fire. The amount of rounds per tracer fire, I think it's one in 10 or one in five they do, so they know where they're shooting. Uh, that's all just matched side by side in effects. We found a hero bit of reference, gave it to the first, said match it, because it's got to be spot on. Because the thing with tracer fire is very tricky. You can you can just very easily tail off to the side and next minute it looks like you know, Star Wars. It looks right. like lasers, <laughs> right? So the way that you have to just look into how tracer fire actually works, and, the, and you notice that they're all very, they're all unique. Every single one's unique. And I think... Um, that was very key across the board of that stuff. And I think just going back to the nighttime stuff, just so you're aware of the HDR, the first thing that Nathan and I did on this film, the first thing I, that's, that's critical to a film like this is because you don't have plates, really, you know, there's no environments, you know, there's, there's a bit of dry dock, which is basically a dry dock ship, doesn't really give us a huge amount because one, they're not, they don't have any wear and tear. They're freshly painted when right. they're caught steel things. And then it's in the kind of very, very harsh light in New Orleans, which is again, like we were saying before, it's not like the North Atlantic. And there's no motion. So they were trying to get a bit of the motion in the camera, but this doesn't work because then you don't have any of the correct shadows and reflections mm-hmm. on a ship that would be a wet ship. So it's a cheat and it doesn't look right. And your eye kind of, kind of guesses it. Yeah, and I think that where we had to use some of that place, we had to basically replace a little bit of the ship. So you had that kind of one, the wear and tear, and two, the correct reflections and light and shadow to put it into our world. And we found that we needed to do that with the gimbal as well. And I think that's one thing that we did notice was that, you know, these ships were bashed to buggery. Oh, of course. Crossing, you know, they, they sustained damage. So we did continuity damage across the board on all of the vessels because they started off like X and then they finished completely differently as Y. You know, and they were spent and they, they also were displaced less in the water because they had less fuel, less armaments and all the rest of it. And that was all taken into consideration. But the first thing we did very first was shoot a lot of weather because the weather is actually key. The weather is, or the environment, should I say, will gauge exactly how the vessels look and gauge exactly how the ocean is going to look, which is our two main characters, right? So like Nathan said, yeah, we, sh- we, we have the thing at Dino that's like called Sky Capture, which is basically 10 HDR cameras, all pointing up about 15 degrees. And they take a perfect hemisphere at high dynamic range and that, and they do time lapse and you can set it. So we sent little crews off to the four corners of the UK in October. So it was winter for us, which was ideal. And we got coastline. So we got clean horizon line because obviously at sea, you don't have any of it yet. You need that bit of the ocean um, or that clean horizon line where you get the little bit of a glimpse of sky, you know, yeah. you're not going to get on a building, you know. And you're also going to get, when it's at city, you're going to get obviously light pollution. And because of what Nathan was saying, going back to the nighttime stuff, we had to be sure that our source material, as in the HDR lighting material, because it's image-based lighting, 
has to be absolutely spot on. It's like the ingredients for a fine meal, right? Then we know that we're good, right? So that when we had the nighttime stuff, we shot that, Nathan picked that time, he picked whatever with moon, if it was just slightly out or whatever, as it is in winter, it's cloud covered, right? So there's barely any light. And I, I think that we went in there, we did the ships as they should have been, which was camouflage to the correct <laughs> and all the rest of it, and the bloody things disappeared, right? And there was something really quite beautiful about that, because then we knew that, well, crikey, we're on the right route here because that's yeah. exactly what we see. You know, there's shots in that film which where the escort ship cut along the line, the convoy lines, and nearly went into that great big passenger liner. And this actually happened. I didn't believe that until Nate told me. I mean, there's a bit of a fresh... Nathan had a, 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 a Gordo, the naval advisor, was telling all about this stuff. And that was genius. I mean, I loved all that stuff. I mean, maybe it's because I'm slightly older and I love World War II stuff. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. And I think that we found that. So we had to just give it just a hint bit more on the moonlight, but not much. Only turned to the point where we just take a little bit of the cloud out of the way to give us that little bit more. And what we did notice then is the white caps punch out. You know, the white, then you do start to see a little bit more of the image and your eye adjusts. And next minute, you've got this shot or, you know, deluge of shots which look ominous, they look scary, and they look like the period footage. And they exactly adhere to what you listen to and you listen to that reports from these ships and it's bloody scary right and i mean yeah some of the shots when you saw that bow wave and the bow would go below the water line right in this water the bow would you see you go down and you see it and it goes and it pops back up again i mean that sort of stuff i thought this is great well, it's funny there's something i don't think i've discussed even with pete is <laughs> when when it's gonna be interesting when pete would deli de deliver like a like a a, a shot you know, from say, say in, in, in a heavy seas, big sh shot of the, of the Greyhound. In, in I had um, Resolve running in uh, in my editorial, so I had the Abbott and then beside me, I had Da Vinci. What I would do is I would grade it to black and white because I was so used to looking at all the historical footage. Oh yeah. That I would swing it. And, oh, I'm sorry. We even we even pitched the open to the opening of the movie in black and white. But the reason why I like that um, idea. That would have been sick. I would have thought that would be And I turned the whole opening sequence that Pete so so worked so hard on with colour and it looked so brilliant. And it looked, you know, I, we basically turned it into an old looking piece of film and then transitioned. Now, obviously because of the the time and decision making process with all the filmmakers, everyone kind of it was really about just getting it done, but I think the important message in in, in, this, in in this movie is the organizational side of it that in a lot of cases on a lot of movies, it, it's a little messy in all ways. Yeah. This was, and Pete describes this the best, and it was it was very very military driven. We weren't, we were always on the forward motion of of you know obviously yes there was a you know, you know sometimes there was, there was situations but we almost had to be like we were shooting film you know but we're doing visual effects once it's in the can it's in the can yeah so like that and 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 we were very like um we were being very very careful about our decision making process because we didn't have the time i couldn't put pete through the the struggles of, of a of a supervisor sitting in the room giving ridiculous notes you know i you know pete had to say that's ridiculous nathan and i had to say no not a problem pete and you know we had you know it was a very um a, a very 
organized and i would say there were i don't feel that there was chaos i feel like it was it was calm decision making no different than how calm you know tom had to be as you know seriously because yeah. we were not we had no option but to get this done at the best level we could and then this and then the clock stops yeah had to be driven by the numbers basically had to be had to be i mean when you came to us we only had a set amount of time so the only way i could do this was to literally have a roadmap and we had to adhere to it it honestly sounds like you guys bordered on the edge of deserving like some kind of director credit for this movie well I mean... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you know, do you know what I do like about it, right, William, is that, that typically on a film, right, there is a huge gargantuan visual effects budget. I'm going to name any names. It was big, big visual effects films that we've all mm-hmm. done, right, where they shoot something, and then they go to town in visual effects and that's like their huge sand pit and they play in that for a while. And what you tend to do is you, you explore so many different creative avenues. Mm-hmm. You do waste a lot of time, right? And you always end up coming back to probably your original version number one. Yeah. This happened so many times, I couldn't even It's so, so true. And, and you end up doing the film in about probably the last four months, ironically. So, yeah. Right? So, Nathan and I knowing that we only had that amount of time meant that we couldn't do any pissing around basically. So, but that's, you know, that's a good thing because that means that you get, as Nathan's saying, every single step of that team, you know, the teams that we had in Vancouver, Mumbai, London, everything they did was to the benefit of that shot. And there was no going backwards. There was no change in the mind. It's like, need to do that, need to do that. And the biggest thing which Nathan and the filmmakers agreed to is to not art direct the effects, right? the water mm. sims. The simulation is the biggest muncher of time. It's a linear, you know, it's a linear equation. So, yeah. But you don't want to do that anyway, because if you've built the ship correctly, you've displaced it correctly, you've put the right weight, the right ocean, then that computer and the physics simulator will do exactly, you know, with an nth degree what it should do if it was real. So as soon as you get into artistically directing ocean, then you're in, you're into basically a loose loose situation. That's when you climb away. So. When you did have these shots where you stick them in both for, you know, whatever, eight to ten, and you 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 know, we set all of the knots per Nathan's stuff, you know, Nathan's little radar map to have for every single scene, every single beat about wind speed, both for what direction, what time of day, put it all in, 
that's what you get out. The bow wave disappears and the whole thing comes out and the whole thing's almost white water. And we kept that. And to me, right, personally, those are some of the best shots. Oh, yeah. When the, you see that big ocean, that the, the, the kind of three quarters and the boat-to-boat -boat stuff where the ship's coming towards you, it's like, that's the stuff that looks like the footage that we saw. And I think that's what's so beautiful about it, really. It was an honest process. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting, um, the interesting scenario was, you're right in a way of, um, I'm not saying the, the D word, but we were left alone mm -hmm. to do our job. Yeah. And that doesn't happen on a lot of, well, doesn't happen. And we were really, the answer to the filmmakers, the filmmakers really uh, was, we, I answered to Tom and Gary. Mm -hmm. I was based in um, Playtones building with, with Tom and Gary. They just walked in. Pete was driving, you know, the, the, the teams around the world. We were, we were um, really left to do our job. And that was probably why it was so... <laughs> it was so effective. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it was it was not criticized. It was it was um it was um it was more like um empowered um to do your best. That's very cool. Now that doesn't happen that doesn't happen every day. Yeah. And so nobody said we know better than you. Yeah. It was like we just needed to do the best we did we could do using the skill sets that Pete and I had with our experience. And then the filmmakers really put trust in us. That's so cool. And that was that. And, you know, I, I wanted to go further, you know, with the show and, and, and do more because we were, were so attached to it because um, we were left to our own vices, but, you know, to walk away from the art, then you have to walk away. <laughs> we had to walk. We had to walk away. You know, keep in mind when we when we both jumped on, you didn't even see a U boat. You know, and, you know, it was yeah. not. It was. It was not even supposed to be a U boat. You know, there was never <clears throat> plans for so much activity outside of Tom's world, which which was fascinating to 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 um see. But obviously, we. The minute I saw the cut, I, I knew where they were coming from. That this now needs the other character, and that right. is the, the convoys and the U boats made it a more interesting film because that was what it was about. It was trying to, oh yeah, it was trying to get what it needed to get to the U to the UK with the destruction of the wolf packs. At any given time, there was eight or nine convoys traveling the North Atlantic at the same time. With thirty to forty freighters, converted mm -hmm. ships that could do basically, and they, you know, half of them would would be destroyed on the way across. Yeah, and it wasn't just the Greyhound and its convoy. So, and this was at a time where you know the insignia wasn't correct. There was no, it was basically um, a turkey shoot for the for the, the jump, for the Wolfpack at night, mm -hmm. and that ended up being that became a strong point. To the to the film as well as that you got to see it. Now we only touched on it really, um, and but we we both still kept moving on using our expertise of, of depth and, mm -hmm. and visual guides. And you know we even in the very be very beginning of the show, 
talked about trace fire and how important it was. But in, in the grand scheme of things, it was so small in our minds because we had so much to do. Why are we talking, you know, don't even have a conversation about trace fire. But we know how important that was. But we, we had a world to build. Yeah. So, so it was kind of like small. That was a small discussion not to talk about because we, <laughs> we had nothing else to talk. We had so much more to, to, to deal with. Um, so when we did reference things like Trace of Fire, you know, we did go, we did find colour, you know, to film of, of, you know, all these enthusiasts with all these old guns and firing. So we get, did get to see some modern day, but using the old, the old footage, you know, you know, the old guns. But it was very much um, a visceral, you know, going with your gut style of, of, of visual effects that, I think it's the reason why it kind of felt like it was almost that we were almost touching the legibility of, yeah. of an ocean show, you know, especially when you look at, you know, at the moment we're cut, we're cutting down, you know, for, for the Oscar reels and the BAFTA reels and you put the stuff together that we basically created the show with master shots, you know, mm -hmm. every, you know, the, the, the beginning of the film, late in the afternoon, the morning, the afternoon, the, then the, the next night, and you pull it all out and it, I swear to God, it, it looks like a painting, you know, all these, you know, the, all these, this time of day. And I think that there was some, there was some, I believe that we were getting very close to cracking the code of, of how to make a film believable at sea that a lot of people do, just don't do because it's, it's a hard, it's a very difficult and expensive process. Yeah. So, so I think that I've learned a lot, you know, with this 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 show, this movie, and, and also become even more excited um, when it comes to what we can do, um, because you know very well that there's a lot of of period pieces out there, war films, but very little at sea. At sea, yeah, absolutely not, not really since Das Boot for the most part. Don't go near that, you know. Because <laughs> Because you know, I, I don't. I'm not saying that there's there's a lot of traditional ways we would still go about our business, absolutely. But now at least at least we know that there is the the combination of 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 what we know in camera on set. How do we apply that to the world of visual effects outside of it, carrying that over like we're still shooting at sea? Yeah, using all that. And experience and getting a result, a, a, a result that is that, that people enjoy. It's very true, actually, with regards to camera work. We were always very true to the camera work because that's part and parcel of what makes it believable when you see this pathing. Of course. It's the fact that it's shot for real. So there isn't really any impossible cameras in there. There's aerial cameras there's, and there's mainly boat to boat cameras, and that's essentially it. And, uh, you know, we water on the lens, put salt on the lens, the binoculars get increasingly more dirty and salted mm -hmm. up as the keeps using them all the way through the film, is that type of stuff. And I think just going back to uh, what Nathan was saying we, on certain hero shots, that's exactly how we approached it. Because we had no time and the filmmakers hadn't seen anything, there was a certain level of um, uneasiness there that we had to basically quell. Yeah. And I think that, from my point of view, is the thing I needed to get to Nathan. I need to get him ammunition so he could just calm them down and allow us just to do our job and create that trust. So, you know, Nathan had a beat sheet for the entire film broken down all the scenes and with mm -hmm. the naval advisor and the filmmakers we had all of this beautiful just detailed ingredients about what to do 
We made those selects from the HDR that Nathan signed off on. We then, from that, we then categorized every single shot in the film. And some shots, obviously, were still, obviously, we were designing, but we basically categorized all the shots into level of difficulty. Mm-hmm. They're going from very basic, you know, radar shots, you know, where we were doing the basic radar, which was complicated, <laughs> all the way through to your your full CG hero, massive water dynamics shots, you know, the, and, and what we did is we picked one of each of those shots out of each scene and fast tracked it, pushed it all the way forward as close as we could to final to say, Nathan, here's what this shot is going to look like in this sequence. Here's what this shot's going to look like in this sequence. And that's where, you know, that for a, in my experience, and I'm sure in Nathan's as well is for a director and a filmmaker, is just a, it's just a beautiful thing, especially oh, on yeah. a film that so heavily on visual effects. It's like, we well, haven't shot anything for this and you haven't got anything for this at nighttime or whatever. This is what it's going to look like. Are you happy? And what's great about it is all the way through, we provided contact sheets for Nathan. So you could see, you know, day one, because it's kind of like a minute by minute account, you know, you could see them go all the way through, all the way, all the way across, like there's the morning. Oh, that's so cool. You see that? So I've got some of those contact sheets. They're beautiful. And they go all the way through or to the end of the film. And it's such a nice thing to look at because you can see how the weather just gets worse and darker. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it goes into the bit where there's ice and all the rest of it. You can almost plot where they were in the ocean, which is exactly what we had because those radar plans that Nathan and the guys gave us gave us basically a huge master scene for the layout, which Nathan obviously used to nice in previous. And we basically used that in our layout thing. And you could basically stick a match move camera in there and it would go straight through the process, stick it on the ship, the correct ship, in an animated scene, in a partly simulated scene with the correct weather, and it spit it out automatically the next day. And that's the level of, um, should we say, pipeline that we require to do this. <laughs> so everything that was, every kind of, should we say, a uh, little bit of the donkey work, we had to eliminate. Yeah only purely stuff which we had to do and put a creative eye on that we actually did and again there was no additional lighting going on with this this was all pure image based so that kind of luxury you have where you want to do a bit of the dop hat and stick a bit of light here there and everywhere mm-hmm. not allowed i just like no nah, you can't <laughs> that's good for you no nah, you can't have that that's that's how it is that's what it's got to be that's how yeah. dark it is you know you, there's a the fuel explosion in a minute and that'll light up the scene and, <laughs> and that, that's, that's what we did and and what was nice about it is we, you know, because we were spitting this stuff out, um, hundreds of shots, you could see that and Nathan could see that. So we never got, uh, well, we would never really allow it. We never got tunnel vision. Yeah. Because you can very easily get tunnel vision to stop. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. It's a, it's a manager's dream having guys like you who... Uh... It's an understanding with the client that, that yeah. is critical on this. Yes. Otherwise, we wouldn't have undertaken it. It wasn't Nathan and, and, and Mike Chambers, the visual producer. I would be... Because I need that level of trust, otherwise I can't. Oh yeah, we we would. What what I would do, and I think it's funny, Pete, because we, we've had many interviews now, but this one we're bringing up topics that we haven't actually brought up. But I was constantly. I'm not. I'm a real con, contact sheet guy. It's really kind of weird, but I, I like to see. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm really terrible at at at, at emails and, and and descriptions, but I'm very. Um, sorry, I would say uneducated in some way, but very visual only. And yeah. I just kept, I just kept updating the the what I see the the whole story on a on a on a page, mm-hmm. and visually seeing that. And I just kept updating that, so I would see Pete and his team's work 
and I'm filling in the holes. So I see the whole movie as a visual. So I had a visual wall. So you could imagine the, um, the, the, the what I had basically all these really not beautiful high res colored printouts of all the, all the, the key shots were, that were getting into a beautiful place. So I could stand back and look at the, 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 the timeline from the beginning to the end visually. So I could stand back, look at that. And I could see the, the story. And you know, I did that with with everything, and and it would it 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 does help you, um, you know, get through the process without without uh, questioning yourself because you actually yeah. seen it. And, and Pete um, is correct, very correct in saying that we the continuity of the film worked out so well because of the the process that that Pete designed with with his team and the pipelines that it was it was a no. I never had to question continuity when it came to the look because we had a system set up. But at the same time, we were just, you know, we were trying to be as creative as possible. And also in this limited time, we were able to still add the layers that are necessary to look for shots to look finished. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say Pete and I never final the shot. We, <laughs> you know, we we could we could have put you know more more, but we we did get as far as as putting final touches on a lot of the work and that is so critical to to the the work and i'm not saying covering anything up mm -hmm. you know i'm saying it needed the all the additives but i think what's successful was the 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 intricate areas of the like the animation and how the camera moves and stuff that was already happening in the beginning it wasn't like oh we'll put camera movement yeah of course we we probably we did a bit of that in comp, but it was designed to feel like you're at a, in a hand helmet. It was designed to feel like water hits the lens. It was designed mm -hmm. to feel salty. It was designed to feel dark. It was all there in our heads. So we we already had our vision. Pete and I were both. Yeah. So and you know I got my cues from sitting with Tom talking to me eye to eye and explaining how he felt and how what it was like. So Pete and I both uh, are, you know, I become an enthusiast in a lot of things that I work on, you know, and obviously this is, this is one that we both yeah. felt because felt, we, we both love period work, you know, and we both love, you know, photorealism and, and, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, traditional types of filmmaking applied to our visual effects. So we're both, we're both on the same page. You know, we never disagreed. And I think that synchronicity is so important when it comes to visual effects. Uh, you know, synchronicity, synchronicity, and 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 having the right partners creatively. And Pete, you know, has has said many times, picking his team. You know, and that's how good things happen is when you when you you do it the right way and make the right decisions in the beginning. And I feel like that's how the only way we got to where we got was just making the right decision. Like Pete said, if it wasn't for Mike Chambers, and and I don't know why he said me, but you know, <laughs> it, you know, it's a stupid, scary thing to have taken on. But we didn't, we didn't joke around. You know, we didn't. Um, we just did our jobs the best we could, and interesting enough, found a result that was kind of unique. Yeah. Um, in such a quick way.
Well, guys, thank you so much for, for going so in depth on this with me. I mean, it's, I, I think you guys are going to crush it at the bake off when you, uh, you get to reveal just the sheer extent of how much of the film was created by you guys. So visually, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's a really great collaboration between Tom Hanks and the other filmmakers and mm-hmm. you guys letting you guys create something really striking and beautiful. So it's good teamwork all around and uh, really impressive film to look at. Great. Well, thank you very Daddy, much. You've worn us out, William. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you got, you got like a month to prep for the bake-off. You'll be fine by then. <laughs> oh. All right, guys. All well, right. Thank you. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the visual effects supervisors for Greyhound, Nathan McGinnis, and Pete Bebb here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars, drop us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.